Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind, a show dedicated to the love of animation and feeling like a kid again. So let's go back in time to when cats defended Third Earth. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the terror that flaps in the night. And knowing was half the battle. Yo, Joe! Let's go back with Saturday Morning Rewind and your host, Tim Nidell. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind, the show that takes you back to your childhood one interview at a time. Of course, my name is Tim Nidell. Thanks for joining us today, and I am super excited for this episode. As you guys know, I started the show so I could relive my childhood, and this episode, this interview, definitely does that for me, hopefully does that for you as well, because I have the one, the only, Will Vinton on the show today. The man behind California Raisins, behind Domino's Noid, the creator of the M&M's commercials. He did the Gary and Mike show from the early 2000s, the PJs. He even worked on Disney's Return to Oz from 85. He worked with Michael Jackson on one of his music videos and, you know, during the Raisins commercials as well. He's an Oscar winner, Emmy winner. I can just go on and on about Will's work. But before I do, make sure to check us out online, SaturdayMorningRewind.com. Check out our YouTube channel. You can either just type in Saturday Morning Rewind or, you know, find a link on our website. Make sure to subscribe because as of the first of the year, I plan on releasing at least three episodes a month, sometimes more. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything, including our new unboxing show where we unbox old toys from the 80s and 90s. And I definitely am planning a California Raisin episode, which I cannot wait to do. And make sure to check out our Patreon campaign. Just like friends of the show, Mike Clemens, Jared Tolbert, Juwan Bledsoe, and Erica Palello do. Thank you guys so much for your continued support. And if you guys want to help out, if you're listening and want to help us out, and you want to hear your name on an upcoming episode, do as they did. You know, throw a couple bucks here, and your name will get mentioned. And also, Mike Clemens gets to ask a question to Will, because he chose the option on Patreon to ask upcoming guest questions. So make sure to check that out. It's on our website, SaturdayMorningRewind.com, under the donation tab. But all right, guys, I don't want to keep you guys anymore because here is the wonderful Will Vinton. Let's start. I don't know where to start off, actually, because so much, you know, you've done so many amazing things. Uh, Let's go back to the way beginning to your childhood. What kind of childhood did you have? Were you as artistic as a kid? You know, you know, I think I was kind of a I was one of those kids that uh, I grew up in a small town. So you have to have to understand McMinnville here in Oregon, and um, you have to understand, you know, we were, it was kind of cool, I guess, then for a short period of time, we took to kind of do all kinds of things, and uh, I was, um, I mean, I, you know, was this, for a small town, I was a jock, I did all that kind of stuff, uh-huh. but, but, um, and a pretty good student, um, actually, um, my, I had two older sisters that were pretty strong influence on me and uh, they were pretty artistic uh danced and played piano and stuff and and but my i have to really give my parents a lot of credit because we had uh, we had a living room absolutely filled to the gills with musical instruments um uh piano of course vibra vibra harp vibraphone uh sax or two two saxes trumpet um um, two accordions, banjos, guitars. Wow. Um, I mean, it was just kind of a music room that was actually a, a formal living room. My mother seemed to not mind <laughs> having all this <laughs> stuff around. And they were real supporters, I guess, of uh, of uh, artistic stuff. Anyway, I really wanted to play drums when I was little. And um, my, uh, my sisters somehow or other got the, the ear of my parents um, and this, you know, McMinnville was about 40 miles, you know, south of southwest of uh, Portland, and they would go in for dance lessons and things like that um, on, you know, on evenings and weekends, and they <laughs> they thought I really needed dance lessons, <laughs> and yeah, that was actually in the end I took tap dancing, and it was sort of like if if I was going to do dance, going to do the drumming, I should really do 
uh, uh, dance lessons as well. That was their point of view, I think. And um, so my parents sort of thought that was made sense somehow or other. So I got into it. Actually, and I ended up really liking tap dancing. I always kind of wish <laughs> I was, you know, good enough to be do a little Fred, get drunk enough, I guess, and do a little Fred Astaire across <laughs> some bar somewhere. But I haven't yet gotten that drunk, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm still, still waiting to do that after all these years. But um, um, it was, uh, I, I played in bands as a, as a drummer from through my junior high school years. We had, you know, the Rhythm Blades and the hench, Henchmen and the Lord Jim and the Counts and, you know, different uh, bands. Uh, uh, played a little piano, played wow. saxophone a little bit back then. Um, kind of, kind of was into um, design and art kinds of things, but I was more at that time. Um, I was really a product of uh, Sputnik, um, as everybody knows, or pretty much knows. I think that you know everybody who had any math, science, and science uh, uh, capabilities. In uh, when I was uh, about ready to go into college. Uh, was being sort of pushed into being um, going into the you know math science becoming a physicist uh-huh. chemist whatever it is to uh, help uh, the U.S. to uh, you know uh, get ahead of the Russians who were clearly ahead of us in the space race because they put up this satellite. <laughs> so it's, I dutifully um, was a pretty good student at that, and so I dutifully marched off to become a physicist at the University of California at Berkeley, and. Um, where I ran into unbelievably smart, brilliant young 18-year-olds that that um, just kind of used me as uh, as a as a climbing <laughs> as a stepping stone. But I did make it all the way through to uh, being a junior in physics, and that was the most grueling probably two years of my entire life, <laughs> uh, just because it was such intense uh, math, science. Um, uh, work. It's a great school and brilliant students, and I'm so glad there are people out there like that. But uh, I wasn't cut out for it, and I I was constantly kind of looking over my shoulder at my art student friends' work and whatnot, and I I ended up really liking um, uh, deciding I was going to go and finish, you know, get my degree in architecture because I kind of taken some art history classes that I just loved that were in the architecture department. And um, and uh, that actually worked out really terrific because I'd pass, already done all the hard stuff in architecture, you know, the math and, and engineering and so forth. I passed out of, out of right away. So it was kind of a, a, a pretty easy and free run. And, and that's where I really picked up filmmaking um, intensely and started to um, do projects instead of like term papers or, yeah. or uh, you know, things like that. At the end of a project, uh, an architectural project, I started using film, and uh, you know that was my first kind of introduction in a big way. I sort of started designing with uh, plasticine clay, so wow. it was really kind of my first introduction in a serious way. Other than when I was a little kid and I used to make little little um, clay models, you know, and put firecrackers underneath them and see what happened, <laughs> stuff like that. But um, <laughs> but it was it was interesting to um, for me because I. I did have this other life, um, and some of my sort of more jock friends, I played football and whatnot, and, and uh, track, and some of my more jock friends gave me a little bit of hard, of a hard time about all the music stuff and, and dance and all this stuff, <laughs> but, but I, um, I, I really enjoyed doing kind of a lot of different things. And I have to say, that's something that's been really fun about being a filmmaker in general, and an animator and overseeing, you know, animation projects is all of the different kind of disciplines that you sort of get into and you you uh, you pull in, you know, from <laughs> from who knows where um, in your in your past uh, to uh, sort of do certain projects, certain kinds of projects. I mean, there's no project that I've ever done was really very similar to the one before it. Um, it, uh, in fact, that kind of made it much less interesting for me and also for a lot of the, the colleagues that I kind of nurtured and worked, that worked with me, um, we all felt kind of the same way that, you know, I think everybody, for some reason, 
that I gravitated to and hired and so on was really, they were really kind of Renaissance people, did all kinds of cool stuff, um, as well as being great artists and animators. Yeah. So. <laughs> Love that mustache, by the way. Love that mustache. <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm conscious of it because I can see myself yeah. in, this, in this thing. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I better make sure it's going in the right direction. Normally, oh. I don't probably preen it quite as much as I will in this interview. That's amazing. (laughs) So Closed Mondays. Tell me about making Closed Mondays. That is, by the way, it's amazing. I I saw it years and years ago, but I rewatched it last night on YouTube, and it blows me away. The the detail on that character's face is just magnificent. Yeah, Closed Mondays was, um, you know, it it always feels like it was really a first film, but it really wasn't a first film because... I had made I made probably half maybe eight or nine films, experimental films in in college, partially in the architecture program and yeah. partially just around that time. And I even made it because I was at Berkeley in the '60s. I you know, carried a camera with me you know, to to classes when uh, when we were protesting to try to get the U.S. out of Vietnam, mm. <laughs> and and uh, got some amazing footage. Which um, one of the films I did was called uh, was called uh, uh, Gone for a Better Deal, but I um, it ended up being a, a lot of really valuable footage that ended up going into films like Berkeley in the '60s and that uh-huh. sort of thing, um, almost as, as sort of library footage, complete with like the helicopter going across Sproul Plaza, wow. spraying spraying uh, tear gas, you know, as <laughs> if it were were like ancient orange or agent orange or something like that um you know across the plaza of the of the campus just amazing <laughs> stuff um but um i my my kind of first love was was doing these kind of um i guess you'd say kind of experimental things so a lot of it was pixelation where you know you take a, a you know human and you know you know basically, basically let's move them around a frame at a time and um and create these really kind of funny, fast action things. And sometimes we'd do it with just objects. Um, and one of the most fun things I think um, I did down there was to, uh, I always seemed to be uh, sharing houses and things with with um, animators, or not with animators, but with but with artists, um, architects, and, and so forth. A lot of people with a lot of artistic skills. And uh, so there, there Early on, the camera got used, the stop-motion camera got used a lot to just set up on the tabletop, the kitchen table, and, you know, lights and just basic kind of setups, and um, and using the plasticine as a kind of a, as a medium, <laughs> we would um, sort of, uh, you know, do it almost like a, like an entertainment, you know, um, you'd be working on something, you might have several people working on several different things, even yeah. if I remember correctly some of them were pretty strange <laughs> strange things but it was this thing where okay everybody we're gonna back, we're gonna shoot a film that, shoot a shot now so everybody backs away and we'd shoot a frame and okay and then back in and you know take a sip of your beer or whatever you know <laughs> on the side and, and uh, okay back away everybody backs off shoot a frame come back in and you know you do it and spend the evening practically doing it and what was uh, unlike today we had to actually wait until the next day, because we had to have it processed and printed, of course, uh, this is all film, 16 yep. millimeter film yep. that we were shooting on. And um, uh, so that involved another party, <laughs> and, and, which was always always pretty fun. But it, there was some real magic in some of those early kinds of just crazy experiments. A lot of it was sort of pornographic, because you could would, would expect by the age of the other people involved yep. and all. Um, um, we, um, I, I sort of thought then that it was something I really kind of wanted to pursue because I, I thought there was some magic in some of what happened, um, with the clay, the, the way the clay moved, if it was done subtly was not unlike, you know, sort of seemed like, like flesh in a, in a kind of a strange, wonderful sort of way. And I, um, I was intrigued enough that I sort of promised myself I was going to do uh, some more of that. Um, one of the people that I was, that was a roommate in this in this period was a sculptor friend by the name of Bob Gardner, artist who was going to California College of Arts and Crafts, and um, 
he was really a good sculptor. And so I, I after college, I, I finished up a documentary, um, a long, this long documentary on counterculture, which was called Gone for a Better Deal. And, um, and then settled up back up in, in the Portland area and um, started working mostly just to make a living. I would do uh, editing and, and camera work and even some directing of uh, uh, industrial documentaries, commercials, that sort of thing. Um, did a lot of editing. And I feel like I, I learned more filmmaking almost in editing than probably just about anything else because yeah. you really learn quickly what you need, what you need to shoot, yep, and what you exactly. need to to uh, to use to make stuff. I mean, even in, even I think the editing really, really helped my obviously helped my storyboarding uh, forever after. Uh, so that was that was a good period. But there was a, about four four or five years where I was kind of doing film little thing projects on the side and in the, and in the basement um, of my own while um, doing these jobs and, and learning a lot of great skills. Um, in for filmmaking, and um, uh, there was, uh, I think, in what about 1970, graduated in 71, about 73 or seven or so. I called up Bob, Bob Gardner, he was in California, wasn't doing much. And I said, Come on up and 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 um, you can stay at my place and we'll make a film, we'll make a we'll make a proper little short for uh, you know, to sort of show off some of the clay stuff. So he did. He came. He came up, and uh, what we did some experimenting, some little short, little very uh, experimental kinds of things first, um, trying to get armatures to work, and and trying to get characters to walk, and and mixing, you know, learning to mix clays and for colors and all different different kinds of things, trying latex um, <laughs> materials of various types, uh, very experimental, and this was all done kind of weekends and and evenings for me because I was working kind of full-time um, at a couple of different uh, companies here in Portland. I say here in Portland, I'm still, I'm, I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and really, really enjoyed, um, I guess the lifestyle up in, in the Portland area uh, more than anything. It had a good music scene and a lot of artists around and it was a good filmmaking scene too back then. That was pretty cool. Um, and, um, so, you know, partway through with Bob, I, you know, the goal was to to make some kind of film. And what we did was uh, uh, kind of decided what were the best techniques of uh, this sort of that we've been experimenting with that we should show off, you know, and uh, um, and put into this film. Because um, that was kind of the point of it was was to sort of show off what what this stuff could do, because I really hadn't seen anything like it. Really, I mean, there was some stop motion work for sure in, in some of the, especially from Eastern Europe and, um, and, and some clay, but usually it was kind of monochromatic. There was a great film um, that I really loved um, by Ellie Noyes uh, called uh, Origin of the Species. I think it's called Clay, Origin of the Species, which is a wonderful film, but all kind of black and white or monochrome, you'd say, um, done to jazz music. Um, and I loved that. That was done several years bef before I probably even got into this stuff at all. So I, I thought there were some there were some cool things, but but I wanted to use full color. I wanted to use all of the techniques that I'd learned as a filmmaker. You know, using close-ups, using rack focuses to to create you know um, interesting sort of um, you know places where your eye is forced forced to focus one place or another use a lot of cutting techniques. You know, in a way, it felt to me before that time, like animation oftentimes was sort of done almost like theater, almost like there was a proscenium and the characters run in and there's all this action and so forth and then they run out or they take off in other directions or whatever happens. And it felt to me that a lot of stuff was done without the incredible vocabulary we had developed in, in just in general filmmaking. And, and some of that comes in the, in the cutting, the way things are, are built and cut. But also a lot of it is just in camera work, camera movement, um, a whole range of things that you, um, you, you didn't have in, in much animation. And of course, in 3D space, things like the camera movement, for example, 
uh, were brilliant. They look, yeah. they're so natural, yep. you know, because you're really traveling literally through yeah. 3D space. You don't have to fake it or anything. And and uh, so it was it was kind of a case of trying to use all of the vocabulary of uh, uh, and tricks and uh, that we have in the world of filmmaking to sort of tell a story. And um, there are a lot of them. There are a lot of great, you know, it, the vocabulary is deep. It, it goes back you know, 100 years. Uh, and uh, there's some great, great stuff that you can sort of use and borrow. People, I think, interpret a lot of those things um, really well and can be guided in a, in a story really nicely. Um, and I don't know if you noticed if when you re-saw uh, Close Mondays, I mean, it, we used everything from God, just these extreme close-ups of eyes and, yep. then, and then going to a point-of-view shot and so forth uh, to, you know, literally rack-focusing over. He turned, he'd be unfocused, and then he'd turn to the painting, and, and the painting itself would be sharp, and he'd dro drop out of focus and stuff. All that stuff just, you know, kind of helped, I think, to to bring it to life and to really, really help to tell the story. So it, it, it was kind of a, a situation where, where we lined up all of these things I wanted to do and, and laid them out. And, and so it was an easy script to write, actually, in a way. Uh, one of the things I knew that I wanted to do was that we had so much trouble with, with uh, armatures in those days and with getting the characters stand up straight and walk very well that uh, we decided uh, without hesitation that he would be a, a drunk. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, makes sense. that makes sense. That makes sense. He had to be. He just couldn't stand <laughs> up very well. And uh, so the story was, you know, the other thing I, I really liked a lot was the idea that all of uh, that he that this is a, a kind of a critic if you will a a doubter of <laughs> art and um, he wanders into you know an art museum presumably when it's closed Mondays yeah and um, the door is ajar and he walks in and and each of the of the various um, you know kind of pieces of art that he runs into um, were you know said something to him I guess but importantly, they were each a different technique that we kind of wanted to show off. So it was really kind of, in a way, a kind of strung together list of, of all of these little techniques with hopefully a nice arc. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, that's where, you know, where the filmmaking and storytelling comes in, hopefully with a, with a little bit of a, uh, a, a kind of a twist ending, a little bit of a twilight zoney, yep, you know, exactly. yep. <laughs> ending thrown in. And, uh, you know, that was, that was kind of how the story got created. Bob it was, uh, I sort of did all of the kind of the filmmaking and, and, uh, you know, some of the animation and so forth, a lot of the sort of, the, especially the technical animation, but Bob was a master at, at doing these facial, um, facial things we actually tried because we wanted to get a lot of we knew we wanted to get a lot of detail into the um in, in into the expressions into the faces and so we actually went out and got from a local uh, uh hobby store a full-size skull okay um, that we built an enormous armature for and shoulders and so forth and covered it in clay and used um prosthetic eyeballs that we got from the from the eye bank and they were spooky, you know. Sometimes <laughs> this this skeleton with the eyeballs and half of clayed in or something would be sitting down there in the basement of my house, and uh, we'd go down there and take a look. Oh my God, it's just it was it was like he's looking at you, you know. It was really very bizarre. Um, and in the and we we found that uh, you know we could really could use that for great deal of uh, for extreme close-ups and get some really great great shots. Having said that, I mean, leaping forward, uh, it was enormous amount of clay material to have to move. And, yeah. and you weren't just reusing fingers to uh. sculpt. You were using, you know, your, you know, I mean, tools and, and you're <laughs> wrenching on things and wow. pounding on things and stuff, trying to get, get this mass of, of clay to sort of move around. So, it, you know, so we actually found later on that, that you know, working in a smaller scale, a like even a, and having it not be full size one to one, but having it be, you know, maybe a close up character being one to four, mm -hmm. a, a quarter size, uh, and that would be very big still 
compared to, you know, the normal size, which might be more like a an eighth or sixteenth or something. Wow. But it there's no question that it it um, it it really because of all this massive clay, it, you know, there were fingerprints and things that let. <laughs> all over the thing and it was really something quite uh, wonderful about it bob sculpting he he was he couldn't do um uh, you know sort of really refined characters uh, let's say a, a beautiful woman very well anyway you know his his thing was this sort of this craggy thing and so you know this this uh, withered uh, uh weathered uh wino or inebriated character <laughs> who walks in was sort of perfect for for that yeah um and uh it it uh i don't know it, it felt felt really pretty it sounds like you're you're still i mean people are still taken by you know sort of seeing that and that's really really is neat Le- later on as i said we kind of tried to smooth some of that stuff out just really to i would say more than anything to get away from the idea that uh, people are really watching the technique, looking for fingerprints yeah. and stuff. And you, because I had sort of the point of view that uh, you really want people. It's great to sort of uh, like the the approach, like the the technique, but you really want people to sort of forget about technique at some point pretty quickly in a story and and, and engage in the story itself. So. Uh, in fact, that's one of the things that led me to, for almost all of my career, to sort of avoid mixing mediums very much. And it's one of the reasons I sort of went gravitated to all clay on everything. And you take a like the movie Adventures of Mark Twain. You know, then ten years, twelve years later, everything, including the sky, yeah. the clouds, everything was done in clay or clay painting or clay material. Um, the idea that there was no, you know, materials, no burlap, no material, no, where you see a weave and so forth that isn't sculpted. Is it true that that is the only movie ever made where it's 100% clay? That's what I heard. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, don't, I, I don't think there's any question. I mean, you understand that everything has an armature or wood exactly. structure. Exactly, underneath it, it yeah. Be like clay-coated yep. or, or there'd be styrofoam um, and then and then hot clay melted over the top and so forth and then sculpted things sculpted up from there but no i don't think there's any question about it not only it's also the first far as i know anyway first clay animation film in its entirety you know as well so i'm not sure actually interestingly um there were there i think there were a number of stop motion films that were nominated prior to close mondays but close mondays was the first one to win an, an award, okay. um, which was kind of cool in itself, because that was a bit of a milestone, Close Mondays, in that sense. You know, it was like uh, uh, Disney had, I think we were up against Disney and, wow. and you know, the usuals, Warner Brothers, I think it was Winnie the Pooh um, with uh, that we were up against with um, Close Mondays. And uh, so this was, it was really kind of cool because it was sort of, we realized early on we were breaking some very very cool ground that yep. had not been uh, not been touched much so it 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 made that those times very fun and it and spurred us on to wanting to do nothing but sort of creative and original projects yeah. you know for for wow. a decade which we which is what we did oh yeah oh yeah tell me about the uh, start of california raisins and how you got attached to it yeah um well, this is actually after, of course, about 15 years of doing this when, you know, because a lot of people only are aware of, say, or especially in the old days, they were only aware of the California raisins. Yeah. And so they would ask me, you know, what's it feel like to, um, um, you know, have a success like this or overnight? Well, you know, by, <laughs> I was 15 years into it by the time we had, we had done a, you know, movie, three half hour, you know, TV type shows and a dozen um, experimental films that uh, and five Academy Award nominations and so forth by that time. So it was it wasn't uh, at the beginning of the career, but in I guess it was ni- in '86 we were approached by a Foot Cone Building in San Francisco advertising agency. Uh, the California Raisin Advisory Board wanted to do some uh, commercials, tiny media budget. I think their budget was like 
five thousand a five million dollar you know media buy for um you know the for a year or something like that you know i mean you have to even in those days you have to compare it to you know say oh like a coca-cola would probably spend 500 <laughs> yeah you know million or something <laughs> on the on their media buys i mean it's just it was the five million was was uh sounds like a lot of money i suppose but it's uh it wasn't for that kind of that kind of thing it's tiny and but it sounded like a good really good concept and we had done a few commercials domino's pizza noid and a few for you know uh, kentucky fried chicken yeah, and a few i remember prior those. To that yep that were um uh they were pretty pretty good and i enjoyed doing commercials so uh so this already came from uh foot cone building and from um uh, the creative director Seth uh, Warner to uh, to do um, they they wanted to personify the raisins and they wanted to and they knew they wanted to use I heard it through the grapevine already which was brilliant and that oh, yeah. that sort of in a way set the tone for everything for the the choreography the designs for you know the storytelling and there and whatnot because we kind of went to uh, directly to sort of Motown looks and styles, attitude. Yes, yeah. Um, the music was was really well done. Uh, I think at the plant in San Francisco, we did most of the commercials uh, initially, and um, so it, it was a it was a pretty interesting project. Um, and we uh, we actually brought in um, some dancers to do some sort of. Uh, in those, it was actually kind of pre-hip-hop sort of stuff, kind of hip-hop sort of dance moves that were really, you know, there were still in the vocabulary, I would say, of uh, of uh, the Motown feel and, and all, and the Motown dancers, that sort of thing. We'd shoot the, shoot the um, dancers, uh, a reference film of them, and um, study a lot of, you know, kind of the moves and whatnot. So the the very first one we did was called um, uh, we called it I think junk food or maybe got, got a couple names conga line which was basically just you know a couple you know having snacks and there's little candy bars and stuff around and and raisins and the raisins of course are very cool and the candy bars and stuff and the gum and everything is really uncool <laughs> <laughs> and 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 they come out and they're dancing around and you know just kind of blows the candy away. And the young couple goes, you know, is just watching TV and enjoying it. It's all it was was a little narration at the end, you know, where it says, California raisins sound great. It sounds great, doesn't it? And it's, you know, it was the, that was the, the first spot. And they started playing that spot, I don't know, kind of in various regions. I think some key regions, you know, with this small media buying. Within days, actually, well, within about 10 days, the thing was amazingly uh, talked about, and it was it was a hit, uh, hardly seen, and yet everybody <laughs> sort of knew about it. It um, it it just spur spurred on uh, making of uh, you know more of them, more commercials, uh -huh. and um, and it was it was just kind of amazing how it kind of took everybody by storm, and we got a lot of press about it, and suddenly it was sort of like it it's kind of what put claymation on the map for a period of time. In fact, we struggled with that after that for a long time because it was almost like raisins are claymation as opposed to, you know, this sort of body of work that we've been trying, we've been doing with all kinds of, of uh, techniques and all. But it was great fun, um, great, um, great projects. One of the things that happened after that is we started to doing doing um, celebrity, um, uh, you know, singer oh, yeah. entertainers. Oh yeah, Michael Jackson. Uh, oh yeah, including um, well, we did uh, Ray Charles, and that was yes, one that's right. Shot went down to the shot Ray in a studio singing the song live, and we photographed him again, used a reference film um, of him doing his version. You know, very Ray Charles like version yeah. of uh, "Heard It Through the Grapevine." Again, the raisins come out and back him up, you know, on his piano in that particular one. Um, we we how we try spent forever trying to do one with Who Whoopi Goldberg, uh, designed her and so forth. It, it did, for whatever reason just didn't didn't hit, didn't work. Huh. Did a couple couple hours, but one of the the best ones was we were working with Michael Jackson 
on uh, his Moonwalker thing, and then also um, had done a little bit of stuff. So I'd gotten acquainted with him a little bit, and this is at the top of Michael's career. <laughs> and it's kind of a good story, but I'm I'm just working at the studio in Portland, and um, my assistant comes in, and Michael wants to talk. I'm, I'm in a conference. Michael wants to talk to you. My assistant says, um, okay, well, tell him I'll call him right back, you know, as soon as I get out of this meeting. And um, he, um, <laughs> and my assistant's kind of insistent that, that, oh, he really wants to talk to me right now. Like, really, really urgent. Had really something important. So, okay, well, let me take a break. So I went and talked talk to him for, for a little bit, and I realized after a bit, we're just like shooting the breeze on, on just small talk. You know, I hadn't yet figured out what he was fishing for until we kind of got onto the subject of the California raisins. And yeah, the California raisins are really cool. Well, we got to do something like that, you know? And, and I finally said, I finally just directly said, Michael, let's make you a California raisin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like instant. Um, and that's kind of what he was, was, had been going for. He'd been sort of fishing for. So it led to a, a, a brilliant project that I, really one of one of my favorites actually that we did that uh, was really Michael Jackson-esque, you know, inspired. And it was done as a 60-second commercial, 60-second spot done um, for theaters primarily. And that was when theaters were starting to do some commercials. Okay. And they didn't, it didn't play them all that much, but it also played television at some high-profile spots, places, and so that sort of thing as a minute uh, spot. But... It was uh, it, it was really an amazing experience. He told me right off the bat he he had had this terrible experience with Pepsi Cola just just a month before, where he earned something like ten million dollars to do this spot, and um, in the process in the production he had all these terrible arguments with the advertising people, the advertising agency people. And he also even caught his hair on fire. I remember that. Because yep. some of the grease or oil or something or other. I mean, the whole thing was just an awful experience for him. So he told me with no uncertain terms, listen, Will, I'll do it free. I'll do it gratis if I don't have to even meet the agency people. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. you know, the agency people are my bosses, you know. So it, it, it put me in a pretty uh, kind of an awkward position for sure to uh to uh even tell them the first the first meeting great news guys you know we got michael jackson for free he's gonna do he wants to do the be in on the creative and all that sort of thing that's the good news the bad news is he doesn't want to even meet you <laughs> i mean it's like <laughs> what <laughs> and and they agreed um but they never thought that he would actually stick to that okay. and he did yeah and wow. they were they were disappointed uh, in that in that particular part of it for me it was a dream because basically he had set it up that he and i would do the creative on it and um, that led to um a, really a kind of a great experience with michael personally uh because i would Sometimes go down several times. Uh, I went down about three times to Neverland and spent you know two or three days you know just in his in his guest quarters and stuff wow. and and just working with him one on one or or playing with him. I mean, he'd take <laughs> us around. He, my wife went down a time or two, I think, and as well, and we'd take these little golf carts out to see the zoo that he was building, and the giraffe was there yeah. to to pet, getting ready for its, you know, giraffe giraffe cage, and I mean, the, the whole thing was just outrageous. Wow. And as I say, he was sort of at the top of his of his game, uh, you know, as the king of pop uh, in those days. And we, we sometimes when I was down there, we didn't really spend very many hours working on the project. I'd storyboard some things or we'd come up with some ideas, and but mostly we just kind of kind of play around. Sometimes we I'd shoot reference film. He was a, he'd be at a recording studio, and I'd just go back back in the hallway or something and shoot some stuff with him because he would want to. He really, really. I always said he he you know had a thing about seeing the you know couldn't really see the forest for the trees sometimes he's I, I actually have said he he couldn't see the forest sometimes for the bark on the trees i mean he was such a 
an incredible um, if he was so focused on the details and and um, as long as somebody was looking out for the forest that worked beautifully actually he because every little detail proved to be you know kind of a, a an addition and, a, and contribution to the to the whole thing he um, <laughs> we, we spent a lot of time um, just his he would like he, he wanted to show a pose a particular attitude or something you know kind of thing that you know I'm that that would that he wanted the dancers that he wanted the backup guys to how they want wanted them to pose themselves and position themselves and the attitude of of their faces and uh-huh. he didn't want them to be smiling he wanted them to be you know kind of intense you know what's really interesting is that some of the stuff that he was this is like late 80s early maybe early 90s and i think it's late 80s and one of the things that's really interesting is that this is 10 years before I, I ever saw rap starting to use those exact same wow. moves and things. I mean, it was, it was kind of crazy. It's kind of interesting. He was, he was, uh, he was kind of channeling some of the stuff that, that was coming down the road, you know, that, uh, I mean, it may be that I was unaware of what was going on in, in some of the, you know, sort of, you know, in, in Compton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, and he was perhaps, but it just seemed like he knew where that, all that stuff was sort of going hmm. and, you know, hip hop and, and with hip hop and rap and all the things that sort of followed later. Wow. I mean, you had R and B was big, very big at that time. So it's not like, uh, this is, it's new stuff or anything, but anyway, it's really, really interesting. The guy was, uh, without hmm. question, a, a real genius. Yeah. And I, it was a treat to get acquainted with him and play with Play with his monkey, his bub- <laughs> bubbles, <laughs> bubbles, with all the, and on the on his ranch in Neverland, and and um, one of the things I've I found when whenever we've worked with celebrities in uh, in a stage or shooting settings uh, in particular, creative settings as well, if they have um, a lot of uh, entourage around them, uh, attorneys, agents, family. And oftentimes, you know, these guys do. Working with Eddie Murphy, we had this same issue. A variety of people I've worked with, I found out. I've sort of have a theory that it it really they have to really keep up a kind of a facade, and it's not much fun to have all these people around because it makes the person, uh, the celebrity, Michael, in this case, it makes him kind of clam up, and he's yeah. not open. And he doesn't say or really kind of engage. And he's a little bit rough, you know, or a little bit, um, you know, I mean, cool and not um, um, <laughs> not really open, not enjoying himself. But one-on-one, great, really great guy, really wow. fun. Same, exactly the same with Eddie Murphy when we were doing uh, the PJ's yeah. uh, TV show. Great, great guy. <laughs> funny guy, fun guy. To, I mean, couldn't be more fun to work with one on one, and just a pain, frankly, if you know all of the entourage is around. I can see he, that. You know, it just it was like, oh God, it was just like headaches and stuff wow. all all the time. So it's it's kind of interesting how that how that works. One can form an impression, you know, of a celebrities in quite a wide range from being you know complete you know, uh, jerks, I guess <laughs> on one end and, and being, being really just terrific down to earth people on the yeah. other. So it's a kind of a interesting side, side thing. But anyway, the, the, uh, California, the, uh, raisin, the Michael raisin, we called it commercial was really a nice, really nicely done. I think, uh, we shot it all and we did all the effects in uh, 35 millimeter as opposed to being a you know video kind of um, post because it was going to go to the theaters so it's uh, it remains a, a really beautiful piece it is. you know no, it's, um, it's so well done HD. It's, i rewatched Thank it you. last night as well and it was flawless yeah it just it just sparkles quite literally it's got sparkles all through <laughs> it but <laughs> I know shortly yeah. after that you stepped into starting use like CGI, especially for the for the M and M's. What was that step for you like? Did you miss 
the clay work after that? We, you know, we really began to see, um, especially in the early 90s, the, we had always kind of been interested in digital tools, but in the early 90s, the digital tools, computer animation was just beginning to be, to the, get to the place where it's sort of uh, artist accessible. Before mm-hmm. that, you know, you really, you had to be a, a programmer to even touch the stuff. And the ideas, the, the stories and things that were being made uh, before early 90s were just kind of dreadfully awful what computer geek might come up with as opposed to a filmmaker, <laughs> frankly. And um, so there was a transition there that happened uh, in the early 90s where the software began to be really pretty usable. And at the same time, we were sort of seeing what we were doing as less about claymation per se and more about just great characters, creating really interesting kind of character characters. And um, so we kind of took a slightly different twist uh, where everything in the past had been um, had been all clay. We were sort of uh, in, informed by the design and the character the characters and so forth to uh, do everything basically in, in CG and computer image, computer graphics. And when we we started actually, we had a lot of commercial work in those days, especially after the California Raisins. And uh, we began to sort of uh, offer it kind of either way. You could do it in, you know, claymation. You could do it in, in uh, computer animation. It, we we kind of maintained a little bit of a look and a style, that we, uh, an approach certainly to the characters. It was interesting, actually. The uh, M&M's was an interesting case because we um, really... <laughs> I think the agency was McCann Erickson in New York City, great uh, creative group there, uh, who kind of put out the word, if I remember right, to uh, all of the kind of key animation companies, and ILM was included in that, and many, uh, I think I think maybe even Pixar early on, many of the, the companies that were really focused on computer animation uh, were were very interested because they had put out the word that they wanted to make the three D make the M and M's three D um, uh, dimensional you know dimensional characters as opposed to you know going way back M and M's had a campaign that uh, 50, 60, well sixty seventy years ago now where you know they're just little drawn characters and they'd uh, they're chocolate chocolate characters and they jump in jump into the a candy coating pool and hop out and dry off. And you know, I mean, it was just kind of a, uh, everybody kind of knew about M&Ms and these little chocolatey characters, but nobody really knew them. Nobody yeah. knew any characters. So what we did actually, uh, and I recommend this to, uh, to uh, other, I guess, uh, people who are, are, might be pitching <laughs> ideas and so forth. The, we were up against the ILMs of the world, brilliant stuff, and they showed off gorgeous CG stuff. We took a different tack. We said, it's not about technique. We can, we can do CG, no problem. <laughs> lying, you know, crossing our fingers and lying completely. We can do that, no problem. What's really important, though, is the characters and the attitude of the characters. Yeah. So we, we gave them some really lovely drawings done by, uh, I think, by Robin Ator, one of our prime uh, great um, illustrators, that was focused on attitude and the personas of each of these different characters, red, yellow, brown, green. You know, they had this whole whole um, backstory and who they were and, you know, what their foibles were and whatnot. And red, you know, red was kind of wanted always to be the center of attention. But the trouble is, you know, if you're candy coated, if you're a piece of candy, being the center of attention can be dangerous, you know. <laughs> and, 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 and yellow who... That was um, initially, um, uh, uh, name just slipped out of my mind. Um, but we, we we started out with you know with real celebrity voices like that um, initially, and um, but what was interesting, I back to the agency, the pitch, and so forth. Uh, it's really what sold 
this agency on us was that we weren't we were really were telling them and uh, and they agreed i think that it's what's more important is not is okay the characters are widely widely known uh, as mm's characters but they aren't there's no depth to what is known about them yeah and what makes for what i think i'd learned i think a little bit with the raisins and with other campaigns and even with entertainment projects was that it's kind of all about the character and all about the personality. And that's what really gives characters longevity um, is kind of knowing them, knowing who they are and, 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 and what they do and, and, and all. And uh, I couldn't feel more right, <laughs> I guess, about, about how that evolved because those characters are just as good today, 20 years later. In fact, new the new spots use the same attitude and character, you know, personalities yep. for all of the those uh, for the characters, and they're still as fresh as they ever were, because they're really character based as opposed to you know any other 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 kind of uh, of, of a, a piece of attraction. Not because they're made of they were the first uh, CG uh, characters. When <laughs> when we got awarded the project. We had had limited experience in, with um, computer animation, and so uh, and we it was sort of agreed that that was probably the better way to go, and the way that I think the agency wanted to go, and so we really did have to uh, kind of jump all over it. And I think we succeeded in those first commercials just by brute force, <laughs> just by you know kind of forcing the the uh, CG tools that we had to sort of work and then fix them and then fix them some more. And, and anyway, it was, a, there was a lot of sort of, uh, I guess, post work, um, uh, in all of that as well, but they worked and the character is, and the character attitude did, did come through really quickly. And, um, uh, and that campaign launched and gosh, like, like, like I say, it's, I don't know how many, what is it? 20, 20 years later, 30 years. No, yeah. Like almost, almost 30. Oh God, it is. You're right. <laughs> Where did the time go? I know. I know. <laughs> now I, I know. Shortly after, this is something I didn't know about until maybe sometime last year. How you lost your own company and you couldn't even use your own name going the, from then on. That is just insane. Well, it's it's a it's a kind of a long story. And yeah. I won't go into the no, whole yeah. whole thing. But w once we had done the TV shows, um, we we did um, Gary and uh, Gary and Mike after yep. the PJs, and um, we had the company had really gotten large, really ballooned up. I think we had about uh, at one point about 450 employees. Wow! Uh, it was it was a huge company, and uh, I was trying at the same time to try to figure out how to get back. It was getting so big, I really really was trying to get back to that kind of dream time when it was just tiny and yeah. I was a filmmaker and I yeah. got to, you know, sort of be involved in all of the, <clears throat> all of the various processes and, 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 uh, in, a, in the projects. And as it grew, well, we had really good people. Um, David Alshul was the general manager and, and ran the, com the commercial division of the company. And we, we just had really great pro producers and all, but, there was still an awful lot of just business stuff uh, to have to deal with. And I found I was sort of less and less involved. Um, you know, I'd try to help out other, because we bring in other budding directors so that we could do multiple projects and multiple episodes on shows. And, uh, but it was, for me personally, it was kind of unsatisfying compared to the joy that I had uh, in the earlier days when it was just like, you know, create the whole thing out of whole cloth, you know, just just uh, the way we wanted to. And so I was kind of looking to get back to some kind of form like that. I, I thought maybe hiring a CEO for the company to run the company and to take us presumably to, a, you know, an, another level yeah. would be the answer. Kind of tried that, tried that. And that actually, in a way, kind of backfired because we ended up spending a lot of money thinking that, that the CEO and and his people to felt that we could 
grow, 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 and and kind of didn't really understand the business that we had already created, and that it was was very had been quite successful, but not really in a huge growth way, and so uh, that sort of backfired, and we had brought in you know investors, and then and one of the key investor actually was was Phil Knight. He came in with a small uh, investment um, and a small piece of the of the company. But he had um, uh, an interesting thing. Whereas if we lost lost some money, which we never had, uh, practically, I think one year out of twenty five we lost money, uh, which was amazing for a creative company. Yeah. In those no, days. Disney lost a lot of money when he started, so that's amazing. It it really was kind of an amazing record. We thought, well, we've never lost much money, so why didn't didn't matter? But you know, he he had an army of attorneys, and <laughs> basically he was able to take control of wow. the of the board. By because we had lost, we did in fact lose money a couple of years in a row, uh, right around I guess 2002 or something, 2001, 2002, and that, and it was just becoming more and more of a headache personally for me. So, um, uh, we we arranged a, I mean, ultimately, it became uh, I basically kind of sold out, although, and and the only real kind of dispute. Uh, I feel I had about it was that um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a fair market value kind of kind of thing at all, um, and it was kind of manipulated. And, you know, but that's another story. That's that's yeah. that's really water under the bridge as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people bring it up and and ask about it. Truth is, I succeeded. Uh, the silver lining of all of that was that I really did succeed in getting to go out and do my own thing again. There you go. Um, for a few years, they they kept uh, the Will Vinton Studios name, and um, that made it so that it was really hard for me to sort of do other other yeah. kinds of things. Um, but then they changed it to Leica uh, soon, not too far after that, and. Um, so it, that wasn't a huge, huge problem, but it was, uh, you know, kind of a, a thorn, I guess, in the in the side a little bit. But um, but since then, I've I've really have just had a lot of fun. I've actually been doing a lot of different things. I did a graphic novel, Dark Horse. It was fun, and um, wow, you know, we, we may make a movie project out of that. It's called Jack Jack Hightower. Had a writing partner. We did a number of screenplays. Uh, Andrew Weiss and I did a number of just some of them were spec scripts, some of them were uh, commission kind of just story scripts for animation mostly. And I've gotten really interested in theater, and I'm working on a on a musical. That, oh wow! Uh, with with David Pomerantz, who's the songwriter, fantastic songwriter, just great. And uh, we're doing uh, we're doing one called uh, that I've been working on for a while called The Kiss. That's uh, kind of an adult version of the of the Frog Prince sort of okay. tale, and um, and I have a couple others that are on on a little more of the back burner musicals, and it, it, if you you know it's quick one might be quick to ask well could it be animated yeah yeah they they could easily nice. be animated shows as well as Disney's shown between you know things like Beauty and the Beast between animation in particular and and uh, and uh, theater, theater and, and uh, Aladdin and Lion, you know, Lion King and all those kinds yep. of things. So there's, there is that, that connection. But the thing that I personally love the most about that, this particular phase for me is I just love music, always have. And to do musicals is, uh, it's just, it's just kind of a dream come true wow. um, for me. And uh, we've, we've worked a number of years, David and I worked a number of years actually on this, on the kiss. One of my colleagues and friends in New York said, uh, asked me how many years we'd we'd been messing with it and so forth, and he said, "Oh, that's pretty good. Well, you only have seven more to go, because on average they take that long to launch." I'm going, "No, no, don't tell me this. <laughs> don't let those but, uh, don't don't let those jocks from high school know that you're making a musical, because now they will make fun of you." <laughs> well, I don't I don't think they will <laughs> anymore. <laughs> What, at some level, one either proves themselves or gets old enough, they don't care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do a Patreon campaign to where I have listeners who can ask questions. So I have a question from a fan right now from Mike Clemens. He wanted to know 
if there was a project you ever worked on that you absolutely hate and wish you can go back and correct it? That's a that's a pretty interesting question. Usually people they ask the op the exactly what, exactly what yeah project you hate and wish you could well you know there there are a few of them that never got finished okay because I hated them there before, you before fortunately before we spent the money to do all of the post production work on them um, one was um, uh, and it's not really so much that I hated them either other it's just that they didn't work or they yeah. weren't very good. They weren't very funny or, or, or something like that. But I, I, I wouldn't mind going, I mean, I, I've thought many times about some of those kinds of projects of going back and seeing if I couldn't fix them and then release them yeah. or something. Yeah. Usually when, when you, uh, when you commit to the post-production, you make, you print the films and so forth, it's kind of like a child you know, uh, for me personally, it's kind of like a child. They go out into the world and they are what they are yep. um, for all their flaws and so forth and all their good, good qualities. And, and so it's kind of hard to uh, think about going back and, and, and redoing them. I mean, it's funny. I, some, I've done some things like, like after Close Mondays, I, we were, we had a, a, a Rainier beer commercial that we did. And I, um, you know, it's just really just trying to get rid of the this huge Rainier beer Rainier uh, mountainscape, you know, that had been built, and came up with this with this show called Mountain Music, and uh, you know, it's basically just uh, a, uh, turned it into like in order to get rid of it, we blew it up with with uh, you know, it became a volcano. It's kind of in the Mount St. Helens era, I guess, uh-huh. <laughs> and I, it's a project that. Um, Probably thematically wasn't completely thought out. It was sort of an environmental thing. You know, people are playing nice music out there in the in the uh, forest, um, and uh, and then suddenly technology starts encroaching in their music, and it gets really heavy, heavy metalish, and so forth. And the animals don't sing anymore, and the you know, and pretty soon the mountain gets mad or something and erupts. It was such a simplistic idea in some ways, I, but I, you know, I, I really kind of wish I had re, I, I probably would have reworked that if I had the the time. But it wasn't supposed to be, be like a big deal. Okay. It's just that um, a lot of people it got distributed, and and a lot of people think of it as one of their favorite films. Huh. So wow. you kind of you kind of don't know sometimes. But it was one that I probably, if I could have, or or if I'd thought afterwards it just was it was dashed off a yeah. little bit in yeah. terms of the storyline in terms of the wow. theme uh theme of it there's um you know and there's there's a number of commercials you know that i can think of i guess that we did usually you'd try with with the films that we did of ourselves you know you really try to rework them uh pretty hard i think probably one of the biggest i wouldn't say disasters but <laughs> things that didn't didn't really work for me personally, was when the California Raisins were very popular, we decided CBS wanted to do a Saturday morning show. Yep, I remember. Everything we had done prior to that was kind of for adults and it was, kind of pri- it was all prime time uh, specials and that sort of thing. So we, the problem was that CBS's Saturday morning budgets were so small uh, that even though we were really cheap in our work as well, they were even smaller, even tighter. Wow. Those budgets, and um, it was a kind of a system already built up with cell animation as to how those how those were done, and we kind of followed that model and decided to do them in cell animation, and and had them, we we'd produce the do the storyboards here, and uh, and the audios audio, and then send them over to Korea at that time to one of the companies that that did these um, did the characters, and did the animation. And the stuff that came back, we we envisioned, you know, we had three really good Motown songs in every episode, and we were envisioning this thing to be really pretty cool. And we'd get back this stuff, this animation that was just so stiff and yeah. and just jerky and, and, and not well, not not that it wasn't smooth. It wasn't. It it, it didn't have any finesse about it. It was, and what we kind of realized is that the Korean animators, at least at that time. 
Uh, I mean, there's some great Korean animators, so don't get me wrong, but at that time, just these particular people did not understand what it meant to be cool. And well, I'm just this white guy, you know, I'm like <laughs> inner city black here, but, but I really grew up on, on great Motown yeah. entertainment. Yeah. I grew up on, you know, just all this super, you know, stuff that, that as Americans, you know, American kids, we, we just took for granted, uh, you know, whether, whatever it was, whether it's, uh, you know, on, on TV or in music or whatever. And we realized that it was it was going to be a pretty tough tough thing. We went ahead and we finished that whole season out. But there's a lot of really dorky animation in that in that thing. I mean, I'd every single episode. If I had my choice, I'd go back and redo it in claymation. And if we had the had the money and so forth, you'd do it because there were some uh, stories that were were pretty fun and all. Yeah. I think, but they just didn't. They really yeah. didn't look very good. They <laughs> That's didn't hilarious. Work. Well, well, I I really want to thank you so much for your time. A big honor having you on the show because I've been such a huge fan for pretty much <laughs> my whole life. So I want to thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure. I'm glad glad to do it. It's a cool cool uh, thing that you're doing here. I I love love to see that. Thanks for listening to a Saturday morning rewind. Please check them out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks.